Welcome to Turning Laps with Mr. Smiley, presented by Edmonton International Raceway. This Lap 7 special features an uncensored and unrehearsed conversation with 22 Racing's Alex Tagliani, driver of the number 18 Viagra St. Hubert Chevy Camaro in the NASCAR Pinty Series. And spotting for us is Tag's friend, business partner, sponsor, and his full-time spotter, Colin Livingston. The green flag is waving. Turning laps with Mr. Smiley starts right now. Thank you for tuning in to this Lap 7 special feature with Alex Tagliani and Colin Livingston. But before we get to the feature, I need to say thank you to all you fans and listeners for making Turning Laps with Mr. Smiley such a huge success. Don't forget to like, follow, and share the podcast. Also, just a reminder that tickets and flex passes for the Edmonton International Raceways historic 55th season are on sale now at edmontonraceway.com. Now on with the feature. Alex Tagliani started racing go-karts on an amateur level at age 10, where he amassed several championships. And in 1997, he went professional and moved from go-karts to formula-style cars in the Formula Atlantic Division before moving to Indy kart-style cars in the Champ Car Series for eight seasons starting in 2000. He won the 2009 IndyCar Rookie of the Year, and in 2011, he became the first Canadian to take pole for the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. During his nearly three-decade-long professional career, Alex currently has 12 wins, 16 podiums, 80 top fives, 147 top tens, and has amassed 26 poles. And in 2014, Alex was inducted into the Canadian Motorsports Hall of Fame. Just after COVID, he opened up a multi-million dollar facility, Tag E Karting and Amusement in Montreal. Colin Livingston is an avid racing fan and began racing go-karts in 2008 at 34 years old. He is an active member at Edmonton and District Kart Racing Association since 2014. He had started racing shifter karts in 2020 and went on to race across Canada and into the United States and has amassed several go-karting championships. Acting as Alex Tagliani's full-time spotter for NASCAR Pinty Series races, and they have been working together at the racetrack since 2009 in IndyCar, Grand Am, IMSA, Camping World Truck Series, Xfinity, as well as other non-professional series. Colin is CRG's representative for Canada and the host of the Cantorque Race Report on the Jason Greger Show, airing on TSN 1260 Thursday afternoons. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Alex Tagliani and Colin Livingston. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and thank you for your time. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Very good. Yeah, it's another great day in paradise here in Edmonton for me. (laughs) For all the fans out there who didn't bother looking you guys up on the internet, when did you both get bitten by the racing bug? You go first, bud. Um, When I was extremely young, uh, my father uh, is a mechanic and um, 
So after school, um, I was hanging in the garage with him. And, um, you know, er at, in the early stages of my uh, upcoming uh, racing career, I was uh, cleaning the cars he had in the garage. I was uh, learning how to weld. Um, uh, I was cleaning the garage. Um, when I had the opportunity to... Um, jump in a car and go do a test ride. I would basically jump on as a passenger. Then my father started to prepare a bunch of race cars for track. So I was following him on weekends at the track. And um, so I was in the, I was in the uh, atmosphere of racing pretty much all the time. And, um, and then uh, on a trip to Italy, uh, when I was uh, 10 years old, uh, my grandfather bought me my first go-kart And in the entire summer, um, I just practiced, practiced, drove go-kart, you know, the entire summer. And then when the, the go-kart got shipped back to Montreal, um, you know, I was a kid with a, a go-kart in the garage. And the only thing I wanted is for the snow to melt. And, um, and, and that, that was it. I was hooked. And um, luckily, my father was in the car business, was, you know, kind of an engine builder, a car builder. He had his own little garage for uh, normal cars on the, you know, daily cars. And uh, I, so my life was basically in a garage, you know, all, uh, all my youth. And, um, and that was it. And after that, uh, my family realized that uh, that's what I really wanted to do because I was willing to always sacrifice other things to be able to do uh, go-karting. So they supported me as much as they could. And uh, And, uh, and, and there I went. Awesome. Colin, I think it's your turn. Yeah, I mean, uh, very, very, very different upbringing from Alex, for sure. Uh, my family didn't know about racing, let alone introduce me to it. But um, I remember from, you know, really from about the time I was about eight years old, whenever racing would be on TV, um, you know, at that time, you know, when, when you know, this is really like in the early 80s, uh, the only racing that that was broadcast was the indy 500 and then we would get the the daytona 500 and as i'd flip through the channels i would lock onto those things and and i swear you know my parents probably thought that i had some kind of mental issue that i would just sit you know watching these cars go round and round in circles but um i distinctly remember um getting pulled away from the indy 500 when i was 11 or 12 years old because I had a baseball game um, to, to get to. And I remember like bawling my eyes out because I, I wanted to know who was going to win the race. I was so heavily vested in it. And, you know, I, I was frantically searching through the radio trying to find a broadcast. But unfortunately in Alberta, you know, motorsports to this day isn't that well covered on the radio. But um, yeah, that's where it started. And then, you know, eventually um, my... Um, My girlfriend, who ended up becoming my wife, who is now my ex-wife, and it's a wonderful, you know, wonderful story. We're still very good friends, but her family were uh, drag racers. Uh, my father-in-law was also an engine builder, so I started going to the races with them when I was in high school. Um, you know, mechanically, I was pretty stupid. I didn't know anything, so they would let me polish the car, and, you know, I'd help push the car up because I was a fairly strong guy, and uh, the first summer we did... Um, 
the Division Six NHRA races at uh, Woodburn and um, at Seattle. Uh, we actually won the race at Woodburn. Well, I say we. I was standing there eating hot dogs, but I was there for my father-in-law's first ever divisional win, and uh, from then, um, you know. Uh, got into, I, I didn't actually put my hands on the wheel of a proper racing card until I was 34 years old, um, you know, racing out at Stratatech. But, um, you know, that was about the same time I met Alex. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously my my investment in racing has got a lot deeper since then and uh, couldn't, be, couldn't be more thankful. Perfect. And that took care of question number two was, how did you guys first meet? <laughs> I know I can tell the story. I'm not sure if Alex can tell the story. You can go. Okay. Um, well, I, honestly, and I mean, this is not something I'm saying for, you know, public consumption. I was, I was actually a fan of Alex's long before I met him. I uh, used to cheer for all the Canadian drivers, you know, Greg Moore, Paul Tracy, uh, Scott Goodyear, um, you know, uh, Jacques Villeneuve, you know, followed all those guys and, and was, you know, legit fan. Um, you know, uh, was super captivated by, uh, by tag and, and PT in San Jose, um, with, with, uh, you know, particular incident involving a, a car off track and, and two crash race cars. Um, but my, um, my involvement started with the, uh, the Edmonton Indy, um, you know, and I thought I was like the biggest deal in the city because I bought four gold tickets so that I could go with a couple of my friends. And, you know, over the years we, we kept, using that as a, um, as a, as a corporate hospitality event for my business Cantork. And, you know, mm -hmm. the second year, I think we had 10, the third year we had like 25 people. We added like a golf tournament and poker tournament. Um, but at, at one point at, at one of the races, I, I contacted the, uh, the promoter who contacted me or connected me with somebody else. And they, they held what was called the sponsorship summit, uh, leading up to the, the Edmonton Indy where Alex was actually the guest speaker. And, you know, they flown him in and I was kind of, you know, honestly, I was a little awestruck to, you know, see this guy in person because, um, you know, I'd spend so much time watching on TV, but, um, at one point, you know, kind of the, the formal conversation was done. And then we had a little bit of a dinner in a, in another part of the, the hall and, these, these folks kept asking if I'd gone up and introduced myself. I'm like, I'm not going to bother this guy. Like, come on. He's like eating his supper and, you know, he doesn't want to talk to me. And um, at one point they grabbed him and, and you know, uh, kind of forced him over on me. And, you know, I mean, my first questions were the same kinds of things that everyone asks. And at one point I said to Alex, like, I'm just getting ready. I, I'd done one go-kart race the year before and like, hey, I was about 240 pounds at the time and trying to get ready to, you know, get my body ready for racing. And I said, Hey, what kind of exercises do you suggest? And he gave me a handful of things and asked for my card. And I didn't think anything of it. You know, we probably talked for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, something like that. And, and then we were gone. And uh, about a week later, I was putting my son to bed. Now my son, you know, he runs our shop here most of the time. He's 23 years old. Um, but at the time he was, you know, just, you know, little kid and I'm, you know, tucking him in and my phone rings. It's a strange number. I'm like, Oh, He's like, hey, hi, it's Alex. I said, hi, Alex. No, that's Alex Tagliani. I'm like, oh, 
hey, hey, hold on a second. Can I give you a call back? You know, and then from there, we started talking about a bit of sponsorship and, you know, and then from there, we we grew that that uh, relationship to a, a multi, we did multi-year uh, sponsorship with Alex for the, uh, the Canadian races. And, you know, then our 25 people became a 50 person suite plus a bunch of people in the grandstand and go-kart events. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the list of things that we've ended up uh, doing over, you know, whatever it's been the last 15 so however many years has been, uh, you know, kind of innumerable, but, you know, really, you know, I mean, uh, there, there are not a lot of people in the world that I think of more highly than Alex, you know, his wife, Bronte, uh, Eva Rose, um, you know, just, just love him to pieces and just, you know, I mean, these things happen for a reason and paths cross like this because, you know, they're intended to, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so many times, you know, traveling across the country for these Pinty's races and life in the motorhome and, you know, in the hauler. And yeah, it's, it's you know, this time of year, especially earlier this week when I was in Fort McMurray and it was 27 below zero, you know, minus 27. Like all I could think about was getting back to a racetrack somewhere. So yeah, uh, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but that's that's how it started. Alex, anything to add? Well, uh, along the story, obviously, you know, I think, um, you know, we can have that, uh, racing is, a is a very, very interesting, uh, world. Right. And, uh, you know, you, uh, you meet people in, in all these events mm -hmm. and, um, you meet tons of people, but then, you know, I don't know why here I cannot explain, but, uh, you know, certain ones, you know, come out of the funnel mm -hmm. and then um you know you create like a little uh group of people around you along the way and and um trust me the 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 group is is quite small you know because uh you know if we're talking about 15 20 years if these stories would happen all the time you know i think you know the list of uh, of friends that you would have would be you know extremely long but it's definitely not long so mm -hmm. You know, it, it's a mix of, um, you know, people that have the same passion as you, people that love racing, uh, people that have the bug. Um, and, uh, you know, just you never know where it's going to go. You never know what could happen. And, um, you know, from a guy that was uh, passionate about racing and that uh, started in the days go-karting, uh, is now very heavily involved in go-karting. Uh, he's selling go-karts. Um, you know, he's running the same brand as, as we're, we're running. Uh, you know, who knew? I mean, if, if, uh, if you meet someone, you know, a week after the meeting that we had and you would basically tell them this is what's going to happen in the next 15 years, I guarantee you that a lot of people would have bet against it you know but mm -hmm. you know it's uh yeah it's it's just, uh we we built a lot of you know um, awesome memories you know like uh living in a bus going to the races in the motorhome uh, you know kind of sharing a bunch of things you know around the world of racing becoming friends go-karting together um you know business uh, sponsorship uh you know this is a lot of pride into this as well. I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, Colin owns a business uh, in Edmonton and um, he was reselling 
tools and now he's more in the manufacturing part of 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 the business so he's making tools and uh they're from canada uh, you know as a driver you never um i mean you're never going to say no to a sponsor and you're never going to buy well, depends you there's a possibility you could say no but you're always trying to get you know sponsor and um and for me the partnership the friendship and the sponsors that i remember the most are the ones that uh make the more sense overall right so um you know if 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 you, there's a sponsor that um, asks you to represent them but you know there's no fit you know for the for the need of racing you know and the want of racing you're going to say okay but you know like sponsors come and go and you might just you know basically have this sponsorship for a couple of years and and when it's gone it's gone you don't even remember it but um with uh, with Colin and with Cantork is not something that uh, you can forget because it's been lasting for uh for a long time and um and it all it was it all started because of you know the bug of racing so it's um it's very cool awesome Colin when did you start spotting for Alex um that's a tough question. I, I don't remember um, when when my, my first spotting activity was as a corner spotter uh, on on road courses. So you know, Alex had his his full time spotter uh, back then. It was a guy named Alex Nagy, uh, quite well known to you know our friends in the the NASCAR Pinties world and and you know a lot of our IndyCar friends. Um, you know, and and frankly, um, you know, Nagy's the greatest spotter that I've ever seen. I mean, you know, I. You know, I, I hope to do on my very best what he was like on his worst day. Um, but, you know, while he was kind of um, in, in the main spotter area, Alex wanted extra eyes around the track, especially in, um, you know, kind of tighter places. So I kind of carved out a niche uh, between turns two and three at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Mm -hmm. And that's where it started. And, um, you know, I thought I thought it was the toughest job in the world. Uh, little knowing that you know it was uh, you know you're only active for a few seconds as they pop over the hill uh, before turn two and then disappear around the corner at turn three. Um, then you know kind of graduated to the most difficult, the actual most difficult um, event in the world to spot, which was the uh, the Rolex Twenty Four down in Daytona, uh, where um, you know was. We did that one year uh, together where um, I, I cannot put into words how difficult that is to work as a spotter. Um, you know, the combination of multiple cars that look very similar, uh, racing at, at night uh, where the cars are, you know, literally they're, they're up to three quarters of a mile away where you're standing at the top of the grandstand and they're on the back straightaway at Daytona. There's Ferris wheels going, there's, you know, um, all kinds of bugs that fly through the light. And, and as you're trying to pick up your light, you see all these other lights, which is tough to see the hand gestures I'm, I'm doing on the, the audio only podcast, but you know, they cook off fireworks in the middle of the night and those fireworks are going while you're racing and trying to, trying to determine while a car's doing 180 miles an hour on the back straightaway. And all you can really see is a light trying to determine if your car is actually inside, outside clear. It is, it is mind bogglingly, difficult um 
but it was also, you know, an awesome learning experience. We managed to get through that. Um, you know, unfortunately the car, the car didn't finish the race, but it wasn't because of anything the spotter did. So I'm thankful for that. Um, but then, uh, as a full-time spotter was, um, I think that was about three years ago. It was during uh, one of our shortened uh, COVID seasons uh, where we only had like three events totaling six races. And then, you know, the last two years have been more full time. So um, he hasn't asked me to leave yet. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I, you know, we haven't talked, but uh, I, I'm hoping I can come back this year because I, I quite enjoy it. <laughs> well, he's very humble, you know, by basically making comparison with, uh, with, uh, Alex Nagy and um, and by the way I, I, I concur I think you know Alex Nagy is a fantastic spotter but um, you know Alex you know basically got me to what I w was looking into a spotter because you, you never I mean you never know and you don't know what you're gonna want until someone comes on the radio and it's just you know like the entire I think the entire experience, you know, like the, the calmness of the voice, you know, because when you're in the car, you know, Alex was spotting me in IndyCar as well. And, um, you know, things happen extremely fast. Um, you know, you, you're, you have a lot of guys around you. The risk is extremely high when wheels touch. So you need to have faith in, in people. But I think what really struck me the most was, when you, he was on the radio, it didn't. It felt that everything was kind of going back uh, in slow mo. It was uh, there was never stress into his voice. There was no panic, um, you know, it, it, because you know there's emotion, right? And and people, in, as, as a spotter, when they're able to keep the emotion out of it, I think it's better for the drivers, right? I mean. You, nobody is going to ever say, oh, you, you don't care because you don't show your emotion, right? You know, the, everybody cares. It's just that, you know, the drivers, you know, like they have like these spike of, you know, of emotions in the car when good things happen and when bad things happen. But when the spotter are able to remain calm, then it, 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 the dynamic is better. And, um, and I have to say that uh, he cannot sell himself short because, NASCAR is a, a totally different beast, you know, even, even though this overall speed of the cars are um, lower, it's, it's actually worse because you never have like any sorts of uh, breeding space. You never have a, you know, you never have like a straightaway where you have a 10 car, you know, gap between you and the guy in front or you and the guy in the back. There's always cars around you, beside you, in front of you, behind you, and um, you know, and and it's it's um, it's a constant, you know, like discussion with uh, not discussion, but you know, basically you're he's he's talking and I'm I'm listening, but it's 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 always just information, right? And when when there's like a, tons of information around you, I mean, you just want to have you know, someone that, you know, have basically your eyes behind your head. And then mm -hmm. if, if you feel like that, if you feel that you're driving, like you have like the biggest rear view mirror. And, and then on top of that, you see everything in the rear view mirror and you never have to look. That's even better. Right. So the, um, you know, the, the NASCAR gig is, is, um, 
is is as difficult as as spotting in IndyCar, right? And and it's sometimes I would say even more because the ovals are shorter. There's more people. There's people all all over the place. Um, so anyway, I'm definitely not going to ask him to leave. I can tell you that, or I can announce it officially, like right now on your podcast, because uh, it's the it's the whole package, right? It's it's um, you know, when you sit in the car and you put your helmet on, and someone comes in you into your ear, you know, it's um, you know, I, I, I find it very funny when 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 people are, are going to say they're going to take spotting as, you know, a, a, as a, a norm work, right? Okay, here, here's my list. Here's what I want to, you know, to hear. Here's what I want to know. It, it doesn't work that way, you know. It, it, when you put your helmet on and, and, and you hear people in your ear, you know, like you, 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 it's more important, like, to have the entire package than someone that will be able to fulfill your list of, of what you want, you know, and then, um, you know, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a feeling, you know, like when you're in the car, it's, um, you, 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 as much as you want to make one with your car, when you feel the car and everything that happens, you want to feel it and you want to convey this type of stuff to the crew chief or the engineer, whatever, as much as you need to take away the fact that, you know, someone is in your ear and it's like a, a distraction, you know, it has to be again, one, you know, and if it's not like that, then it's, it's just a pain in the butt, right? And it, 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 it doesn't really gel well, it doesn't fit well, and then you, you jump in the car and you're not yourself. And, and so, so basically, like, you know, since Colin and I have been working together, um, you know, it's been, you know, awesome. And I would say that, you know, the biggest problem is, is um, you know, when you, when you have like big teams and you have like multiple spotter, you know, you, you feel secure and safe. But when you have like just one spotter, then my biggest fear is like, let's say he can't be there, you know, and, uh, and then we had that happen, you know, last year. And, you know, I tell you, that was like, you know, it was the, mo the, the moment where I was the most stressed than other things that people might think that, you know, race car drivers could be stressed. Was that because, during the last race of the season? Yeah, yeah. And somebody forgot the spotter at the hotel? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, say, let, let's, say, let's say we have to say it's like miscommunication, not forgetting. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's really fun. Um, you know, two things for sure is that, you know, Alex obviously very calm right now, you know, outside of the race car, but Alex, you know, I, I know Alex as well as I know any other human being on the planet and, you know, like me, very emotional, you know, um, very, 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 um, you know, uh, roller coaster of emotions from, you know, really high, really low, which is what racing is all about. A lot of drivers, you have to pump up. You have to kind of get them to where they feel like they're into the thing. But, you know, Alex is kind of the opposite. He definitely needs, you know, more than anything. If he's overly excited, it's not necessarily a good thing. We, You know, if we're leading a race and it looks like we've got the thing wound up, that's when we've got to go the, you know, the absolute most calm. But, um, 
you know, at, without question, I've, I've listened to a lot of Alex's spotters over the years. Like, you know, in the, the early days when I would just have a scanner, I could hear some of these guys. And as I'm listening to them talk, I'm like, this isn't the way, like in my head, like this isn't the way to go. But, you know, getting to work with, uh, with Nagy and getting to listen to him for so long, the, 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 closest thing I can say like to describe it is when when I get the chance to to work as a spotter I try and do an Alex Nagy impression because he's always so calm and he just delivers information which is really all the spotter is going to do you know spotter can't win the race you know but a spotter sure can lose it if you you miss something or you give the wrong information at the wrong time or you send your driver down the wrong path you know um so it it I think it's worked out. I mean, you know, I think we've got a, a really, you know, solid, um, you know, above all else, you know, the friendship will outlast anything. But, you know, if if I do make a mistake, we can we can definitely talk about it. You know, fortunately, uh, there hasn't been anything catastrophic. But, uh, you know, other than uh, showing up to the race late because, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't have a ride and then having to that was actually a really scary moment. We only it only happened in practice. It didn't happen in the race. But trying to spot without a headset try like I only had a handheld radio and I was actually having to yell <laughs> yell into the radio and I couldn't actually hear what he was saying I had to put the thing to my ear while he was going and then talk back and forth like it was it was um yeah if we never have to do that again that'll be okay by me <laughs> which one of the the two of you are the better go-kart racer oh no question it's Alex like uh, no, I'm not even. I'm not even in the same species. Yeah, but it's not fair. I mean, I started when I was like ten, right? So, I I I did you know as much or even more go karting than I did, you know, professional racing. So, in the days, you know, like guys were go karting, you know, very late, and it was you know they were entering in Europe. They were entering Formula One a bit later. Um, now they're entering Formula One younger, but, uh, you know, go-kart has always stayed, you know, like the, the, the categories or all the categories that you want to do, you know, before you, you, you make it. And, uh, by, by, by virtue of not having enough, uh, you know, money, I stayed extremely long in go-karting. So some seasons I was doing, you know, just because I was, you know, believing in myself that I was going to make it one day. So I wanted to be extra prepared. Um, you know, I was just doing two categories and, you know, like I was working with my father at the, sh at the shop. And then when there was like an older go-kart that was coming through his garage and, you know, like the guys were changing them, you know, he was putting me onto it. And then, and I was like revamping it and I was, you know, driving it in the other category. So, I, ra I mean, I race so much in go-kart, you know, that uh, it's, it's not fair to, uh, it's not fair to compare, you know, obviously go-karting is not something that you can, you know, it's like it's when, when Colin started like pretty late and, you know, to backtrack, like he would have to basically do all those years of go-karting and all those categories that I've done to basically like just embed in himself, like all the go-kart experience pretty it's pretty tough right and and go-karting is um like let's let's be honest like you know i would challenge anybody you know in go-karting uh that that believes that go-karting is not it's not serious or it's it's not hard or it you know it's it's very hard it's extremely hard i mean and i and i notice it now because 
I'm getting older and, uh, you know, I've not, I've not stayed into go-karting, you know, like every year, you know, like over the last, you know, I mean, 15 years. Yeah, I've done go-karting here and there, maybe two races a year, but not regularly. So now with the go-kart business, I got back into it and then, well, let's do a race. And then you arrive there and it's like, whoa, you know, you, you just, you know, get a wake-up call. So I just imagine for me that, you know, like never lost, you know, how to ride a bike. You know, basically that's what go-kart is for me. And I get back into it after stepping out of it for a couple of years. And I think it's tough. Imagine for someone that, you know, starts, you know, quite late. It's, it's not something that you can just kind of pick up, you know, like this. Plus, there's so certain categories that you're doing when you're 10 and then certain categories that you do when you're 12, 13, 14 and other categories that you do when you're 15, 16. And the thing is, Colin didn't do these, these categories because they're not available to him now because he's, he's bigger, you know, and he's an adult. But these categories, they, they um, how can I say, they, they, they teach you, you know, certain things about the go-kart that after that, when you get into the bigger categories, you, you, you keep trying to put in practice, you know, and I think he, he missed that. So when, when Colin is on, on his go-kart, you know, and he's basically tried to extract lap time when he's trying to push, you know, there's, there's the driving style of all these categories that I have in me that, you know, I pick, you know, whatever works for this corner and for this class and I put it, I put it down. You know, instead of him, he's, he's basically kind of learning about, you know, DD2, let's say. And that's the only thing that he knows about, you know, but he didn't really, or shifter, right? The shifter is another, another beast in itself, you know? So it's, um, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to compare. I would say that uh, go-karting, you know, uh, someone that starts go-karting when they're in their, you know, mid-20s or 30s and they want to compare with a guy that has been, go-karting all his life it's it's not a fair fair comparison but to that end what's great is that i've got you know alex has been you know just an amazing coach and mentor when it comes to the world of karting and and as is as his his father um as our entire crg team you know guys like pierre-luc willette and um you know, the countless others that we've run through, you know, even my, my local drivers like Matthew Taskinen, who, who also races with, with Alex in Quebec, he's, he races here as well. Like there, there are countless people that I can rely on to, you know, try and get better. And I mean, you know, I have no delusions of grandeur. I, I get into these go-karts because I still love doing it. Uh, candidly, um, you know, while Alex is much older than I am by like two months, um, this time of year, um, as, as I'm rapidly approaching 50 years old, um, I always ask myself if this is the year I need to get out of two stroke carts and maybe just resign myself to the fact that I'll be better off in four stroke, you know, Briggs racing, but, um, you know, still push hard, still get three workouts with my trainer in a week, trying to slim down because that's the, you know, the, the big killer of speed for me is weight. Um, you know, I just did a couple of events where, you know, it was a, a reduced weight category for senior drivers where I'm considered a master, but I was, you know, literally 50 pounds heavier than these guys. And, you know, that's at, at the, uh, the first track we were at, uh, meant, you know, they're much better drivers. I, you know, I won't, I won't say that without, you know, if we were on even weight, I'd be the same speed, but I mean, I was three and a half 
probably three and a half seconds a lap slower than these kids um, at the first track, you know, just based on, on weight. The second track, I was probably a second and a half on weight, uh, but I was within, you know, two seconds of these guys. So I was able to, you know, close the gap at a different track, but, you know, again, Alex has been fantastic. Um, you know, we, we pour over data. He'll take a look, you know, he'll, he'll watch very, very intently as I'm running, you know, laps while he's, he's not in the cart or we get on track together sometimes. And, uh, the feedback that I get in the, the, you know, the, the things that he suggests are things that I would never, you know, think of, you know, different steering positions, seating positions, um, you know, just, you know, all kinds of, you know, little tricks that you learn, you know, how you can use your heels to push the the front tires into the, into the track on braking, if you're fighting understeer or you can, you know, there's just a million things. So, um, you know, for me, it's just fun. I, I don't, you know, I don't get into, to a go-kart because, you know, I'm, I'm hell bent on winning. I, you know, I've won championships, I've won races. I've, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that I've, I've got that under my belt. And now, um, it's, it's almost a, a contradictory situation now because, I have so many, you know, drivers that we supply carts to and that, that I still race against that, you know, I, I don't want to get out onto the track and, you know, make them feel like we're competitors. I want them to know that, you know, we still have their, their best interest ahead of my own, uh, when it comes to, you know, at the track. So yeah, I mean, racing, it's, it's just an evolution at this point to, you know, I still enjoy doing it. I want to keep going as a driver for as long as I can, but my, my ambitions are, are definitely waning. This one's for you, Alex. What has been your motivation to keep racing full-time after nearly three decades? And how long do you think you can keep racing full-time? Um, I think the motivation is quite easy. Um, you know, I think when you love, you know, like when you love something, you know, as much as I love racing, um, it's quite easy to maintain the motivation. You know, I compare it, maybe it's not fair to compare it to a human being, but, you know, uh, you know, my family, you know, I'm very, uh, you know, I'm an emotional guy and I'm very close to my family. And, um, you know, what, uh, what makes me tilt really is, uh, is, is, is the people, right? So, you know, when, when, uh, when I spend, you know, two, three days away and I have the chance to see my wife back and my daughter, and it's been a while I didn't see my father and I go see him makes me happy. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then you, 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 you realize that, um, you know, this is how you should feel when you love people. Well, in a similar way, it's the way I feel when, when, when I'm thinking about racing, you know, so, Maybe it's not fair to compare it with human being, but, um, you know, I always have like this little spark in me about racing. Um, you know, I like it very much because I think also lately, you know, I've been thinking about it more. You know, I went from different series, you know, I, I retired from IndyCar. I started racing NASCAR and I had a lot of time to think about and, um, I think maybe part of my um, of my motivation comes from you know all the grinding <laughs> to to make it maybe you know so uh, when you're around the table with some friends that know me very well and and they know my story and and they know some of the behind the scene you know they 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 would they would say man it's 
just sometimes they would remind me things that I even forgot by what I went through. And um, I think the more you, you put effort and the more you put sacrifice, the, the more you grind, I think, you know, the more maybe it's going to be easy to maintain motivation to keep doing it as long as, as you can, right? Or how can I say, um, basically enjoying it as much as, much as, as you can, right? Because mm-hmm. um, let's be honest, right? Racing is all cool, but, you know, for people that live in Canada, you know, when you start go-karting, and this is the best example, I mean, there's a lot of snow out there right now, and, you know, we're, we're, we're far from putting our first go-kart out on, out on the track, So when you're a young driver and you start racing go-karting and that's where you raise go-kart and I didn't have the budget to go racing in the States or, you know, where, where it was hot and sunny, uh, you're racing for a very short period of time. So there's as much time, even more, where you're only thinking and you're only basically getting yourself, you know, excited and, and anxious, but you're not really participating into your sport. And then when things got bigger and more expensive, then this particular time, like let's call it the winter time, then it, be- it became not just a fact of waiting and being excited. It became a time of stress, a time of uh, disappointment, uh, you know, a time of, uh, you know, worrying, you know, so everything that is not fun you know, about of racing, you know, like there's no guarantee. You don't know if you're going to make it, whatever, you know, looking after money, uh, finding money, um, you know, just keeping, try, try to, 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 to make a life for yourself, but not always focusing on racing because you never know. You're so scared that, you know, maybe you're not going to be basically have enough money to pay the bills, you know, like, so then those months, the year of, of winter, they became, like the worst month of my life, you know, just um, the time that you don't like, you know, because, um, you know, I don't come from a very rich family, so I didn't have any guarantee. I couldn't really uh, have any guarantee in my head that I was going to be there, you know, the, in the upcoming season. So, you know, the, the, even, the, even the portion beauty of getting excited about, it's like going for dinner with someone, you know, that you love or you like, and, and you're, you're getting all ready, you're excited. Well, that, that excitement just, you know, basically went away because I was filled of, filled full of, of, um, of, of stress, you know, all the time. So, um, you know, for all those reasons, I think, you know, when you're, when you finally are capable of, um, you know, racing, um, I mean, it's a lot easier to maintain motivation and to try to, uh, you know, to do it as long as you can. And, and we all know it's not going to happen, you know, forever. But um, I look at all my friends, you know, that I raced with um, that are all getting older. You know, they're trying to do something in racing, you know, also the longest they can, you know, either because they have the same kind of like feeling as me or because they love it as much as me. But um, it's all the same, you know, and, and um, you know, I mean, let's be honest, like right now in NASCAR Canada, you know, racing in that series, it's definitely not, you know, for me to, uh, you know, to pay the bills, right? I mean, it's, uh, 
it's you know it's it's there there's too much it's too much it's too expensive and uh, still very extremely difficult to find money so it's it's a it's purely you know passion and and desire to continue to race and and have fun and also the fact that um you know when i'm in the car i'm still competitive you know so you know i have this 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 part of me that uh you know like is is still not you know telling me oh you know you should be leaving because you're not quick you know the fact that i'm quick either in a go-kart or in a nascar that's also the the fun part you know that you you want to stay there but the big part is the fact that you put so much effort and so much grinding into it that uh, if you can uh, do it longer then obviously um, you know you appreciate it more out of all the races and series throughout your career which one was the most challenging that you've run in um i think you know uh every series is is is, is difficult you know for what they are i mean when i um when I got my uh, uh, evaluation test in uh, in an IndyCar, um, and I went in Sebring to test with the players racing team, I never, never, never put you know like a foot into an IndyCar in my life. Um, you know the challenge was physically. Physically, I was like, oh, uh, the first day that I. Uh, you know, everything went wrong. You know, I, I molded my seat not not well. Um, my headrest, I didn't pay enough attention to to have the headrest, you know, uh, uh, thick enough to, to keep my head a little bit angled forward, you know, to compensate the G-force in acceleration. So my head was a little bit too far back. And then just to see better when I was on power and it was pulling me back, I just kept bringing my head forward um, and I was holding it, you know, instead of relaxing it. So my neck was like a complete, you know, was shattered, you know, like on the first night and I need to test it the next day also. Um, you know, the G-force on the brakes, um, you know, the heat, you know, in Florida, it was really hot, very humid. And I was coming from, you know, winter. So, you know, didn't have time to... Um, to get used to the weather, it was like uh, just an overnight, you know, like trip. It, it was, um, that was physically demanding. Um, but then in other categories that you end up racing, then you have other stuff. Like, you know, the first time that, uh, you know, I drove uh, a NASCAR car, for example. Um, you know, like an Xfinity car in Montreal. I was racing for, um, I was racing a Penske car. And, um, you know, big car, obviously different than an indie car. All my memories of that particular track in Montreal was, uh, was an indie car, breaking points, everything. And then I jump in the car and I come down and I think, you know, there was two different things that I noticed there. You know, the acceleration was not as quick, but it kept going. You know, it, it never wanted to stop. Where an indie car in the middle of the straightaway, the, the, the acceleration start to flatten because you're pulling so much wing and they create like a, a lot of downforce, fantastic, but they also bring a lot of drag and it's, it feels like you're, you're pulling a parachute. So, you know, when you have a parachute behind you and you start running, you know, I mean, zero to five Ks an hour is okay. 
when you get to 10K an hour, it's a lot difficult. But when you get to 12, I mean, at, at some point, it's going to stop. I mean, you, you don't have enough power in your legs to keep going, right? Because the parachute is, gets stronger and stronger. And that's what happens with an IndyCar. So that's the two things I, I noticed. But then after that, when I start braking, I was, you know, my braking markers were completely off. So I start braking a lot earlier, but not early enough. And then the, the, the technique of braking was not right because in IndyCar, you know, you brake extremely heavy right away. You decelerate by using all your downforce. And as the downforce goes away from the car, you need to start modulating back on your pedal until you're entering in the corner with almost no brake. Because if you're going into a 50, 60 Ks an hour corner, it's very slow for thinking you have downforce, but the car is extremely stiff and um, it's light, you know, it only weighs, you know, 1,800 pounds, where the NASCAR car weighs 3,000 pounds, and there's 3,000 pounds, uh, 3,500 pounds uh, uh, moving forward, and then there's 3,500 pounds on the tire. The downforce that you have is negligible. So when you hit the brake, you cannot hit the brake hard and think you're going to decelerate right away. You hit the brake, and you make sure that as you hit the brake, the car didn't have too much of a pitch, but, you know, the spoiler is, it, it went down close to the ground. And then you keep, keep your pressure and keep pushing and you stay down on the brakes for a long, 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 long period of time. And you bring all this weight, you know, down. So it is, it's kind of like, a, you know, muscle memory doesn't work that way. For me, it's like boom, and then you start releasing instead of like, pressing and then pressing more and then staying on it, counting one, two, three. So, you know, like your leg is not used to do that. Um, so the challenge was to convince your brain that, you know, like the car can only do that, you know, and if you want to do a good lap, then you need to drive the car. You can't be making the car drive the way you want to drive. So it was a constant mental battle to make sure that uh, I would kind of like slow down my brain and, and, you know, just kind of like listen to the car and do what the car wants, you know, in the corner and all that. And, uh, and finally I got it. So, you know, every series, you know, has its own particularity and it brings a challenge, right? And that's what, you know, so cool about, you know, racing is that, you know, you need to bring your piece, your, 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 your car, you know, at the best you can bring it, you know, but you need to feel it well and you need to extract everything you can extract from that, that piece of metal, right? No matter what it is, but it's not, it's not the same. So, you know, every series has their own challenge. Um, there's not one that, you know, I would say is most, is more challenging than, uh, than another, you know, it, it, it depends always the context that you put yourself, the car, into it and then i will be able to answer which one is the more the more challenging right i mean in an indie car if you're saying okay i need to go through you know like uh, the kink in road america flat out if that's the challenge then there's no challenge it's quite easy you know um in nascar you know like basically the kink in road america is uh is a handful, right? I mean, the car will slide, and when you have tires going away, it's it's not easy to be, you know, quick in the kink because the downforce is not there. But then, if you say, 
you know, in IndyCar, you know, you need to be flat out for four laps at Indianapolis with uh, the least amount of wing possible, then, you know, that becomes a challenge. So, it, it, you know, it always depends of the context that you put yourself in and, you know, then I, I would be able to tell you, you know, which one is, uh, is more challenging. Okay. Okay. What has been the highlight of both of your careers, both on and off the racetrack? You want to go, bud? No, you can go. Um, you know, highlight off is obviously, you know, my kids, um, you know, some of the successes with the business, you know, uh, all kinds of boring stuff. Um, honestly, I think one of the, the on-track uh, highlights, I mean, winning races is always great, but last year, um, the, the combination uh, during the Western swing of, you know, having a great car at, uh, at Wetaskiwin, um, sorry, Loretta, if she's listening, Edmonton International Raceway at Wetaskiwin, um, having such a great car and having our race go so bad to where, you know, at the end of the night, as we're looking at the car after an accident, you know, Scott basically told us, sorry, Scott Steckley, our, our team owner said, you know, guys, there's, there's no way we can get this built. And we didn't have a, you know, a suitable backup car for Saskatoon. And somehow through, you know, just unbelievable hard work and some really smart people from, um, you know, from, from our uh, car supplier, managed to get the car not just you know able to run but we were actually able to get back um you know finished i think fourth in the first race at saskatoon and then actually won the second race um without question um you know i mean winning it at canadian tire motorsports park was great winning gp3r is as good as it gets but that combination leading up to last year's um you know, last year's race at Saskatoon, I, I don't know that we'll ever be able to beat it. I mean, it's it's one thing to win when you've got a great car. And, and you know, we've had wins at Sunset where, you know, we lapped the field, like we were untouchable. And that was really, really, really cool. But it didn't have that same drama. It didn't have that same backstory um, that that this year did. I mean, you know, again, I without question, it's it's that Saskatoon race is going to stay with me forever. Alex, your turn. Uh, tough questions because, um, you know, I mean, it would be easy to say that, um, I don't know, it's so, so difficult. Um, you know, off the track and personally, I would say, um, you know, finding, um, I don't know. It's difficult. Uh, uh, basically, uh, finding you know Bronte uh, and, and ever in my life is um, unroll has unrolled a lot of things that it's tough to know if they would have unrolled without her as well. It's, you know, so um, you know, I mean, she she's part of my life. She allowed me to do a lot of things. We went through ups and downs. We, 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 we could be proud that we, uh, we, we made them, you know, better. And, and, um, and, um, and then, you know, because of her as well, you know, like, you know, I was able to get, you know, be a, 
you know, like a, a more calmer guy or better guy and being able to focus to try to put people together. And, um, and I was able to, uh, to, to, to build like, um, an awesome, you know, business and by finding, you know, investors and, you know, all kinds of, you know, people that, um, you know, follow my dream. Um, so off, off the track, I would say, you know, there's, there's all these things, you know, like, um, keeping friends for an extremely long time and, you know, like good relationship, but it all comes from somewhere. Right. So it's tough to pinpoint, you know, um, one specific thing. And, um, on the, on the racetrack, I agree with Colin. I think, you know, um, so it, to me, it's never been, you know, either the greatest, uh, achievement, the bigger, or the, the, you know, because, you know, like I always wanted to win Indianapolis, right? But before I got to Indianapolis, I never wanted to be at Indianapolis because I never wanted to see what potentially I was going to miss, right? So I never walked into the track and I went, went to see the facility because I was racing IndyCar, then Champ Car, and I was not in IRL. So I said, oh, if my team doesn't go racing IRL, I might not want to see the, 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 the location because, you know, maybe I will never have the chance to race there. Then finally I got the chance to race there and then I want it all right. Like everybody else, I want to win the Indianapolis 500. And, um, so I started in 2009 and 2009, I was rookie of the year and I finished ninth. Um, and, uh, with a one car team, it was, uh, it, I had only a few races in IndyCar during that season. I think six races with that team. 2010, we, we started our own team. We were a one-car team, um, good group of people, but uh, extremely limited budget. And um, I qualified fifth. Um, first race in Brazil, I was on the front row. Uh, got on the podium in the third race. And I mean, now I'm thinking everything is possible. You know, like I'm thinking, well, I'm going to win the Indy 500 because now I'm rookie of the year, right? And uh, I just qualified fifth. So, man, I'm pretty good at that track. So the year after, um, I get on the pole in Texas, and we realize that our car is quite good on the super speedway. I'm thinking, oh, man, this is our shot, you know. And, yeah, there was our shot. I mean, our car was extremely fast and um, uh, put it on the pole. And, uh, and now I wanted to win. <laughs> But it came close a couple times, but I never won it. You know, it, it came, the closest I came was like 28 laps to go. I was pitting from the lead in the last pit stop. And then as I was leaving the pit, someone lost his tire. It went full course yellow. So the guy that went a lap further basically got, put me a lap down and um, ended up like starting, you know, dead last with 20 something lap to go and finished 12. So, uh, but like Colin said, you know, it's, it's, um, it would be easy to think that, you know, like being on the pole at the Indy 500 is, is the moment, right? But because it, we defied all odds, we, we out-qualify like the big teams and all that. It was, it was obviously, it was a great experience. And it was, again, just a combination of, um, of, of so much work behind the scene that uh, relief all the load from our shoulder, but um, but it's not just that. It's it's um, 
I think it's it's also what Colin was mentioning about the Saskatoon race is um, you know we had a good car in the first race we were running around and and then you know we we had a better car than where we finished but we were always blocked by everybody and we didn't want to create a mess so everybody was running too wide in front of us so we didn't have the spot so we didn't really you know kind of extract everything from the car plus we we dodged like an amazing bullet when someone spun in the back straight you know like avoid you know like the guy that was running in my team, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and the car comes in and, you know, I'm in the pit lane and I'm helping the team to tape the car for the second race. And I knew the car was good. And then we went out and we made some few changes and the car was definitely good. And then, you know, like we, we were in the right spot at the right time. We made a lot of outside pass and then we got into the lead and then we won the race. But the thing is, the, day, the weekend before in Edmonton, the car was like completely kaput, was like damaged, you know? And then we, there was a point where we didn't even know if we were going to make it. So, you know, I think, it, 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 you know, like we all know that, you know, winning a, a race in Saskatoon is not the same as being on the pole at Indianapolis and all other stuff. But I think, you know, um, I don't know, like that moment... It was like, uh, I'm not always extremely, you know, exuberant, you know, when I, when I win races or when I'm doing good stuff. But that race, I can tell you, I was like really, really happy that uh, we won it. So, um, you know, and, and um, I think in the world of racing, it was kind of like the perfect, you know, the, the, the perfect ending. It was like kind of a story. Right, you crash the weekend before. The car is all damaged. You don't know if you're gonna race. You know they repair the car, but the repair of the car was like the best they could. But it was not, you know, the way they would have repaired it if you go, you know, right? If you have more time. Anyway, like everything, you know, like that that happened made the um, the result a lot, you know, sweeter. But I have, you know, like I, I have so many you know, small little um, memories here and there of things that um, that are very close to, uh, you know, to my heart, right? I mean, I finished on the podium in Australia and uh, that's where the weekend I met Bronte. So I was on the podium in Surfer's Paradise. I walked away um, and a couple of months later, I ended up, you know, being engaged with, with, with my future wife that, I've been with, you know, for 21 years, um, you know, on the pole for the Vancouver race. It's funny enough, right? I mean, I'm basically like dominating every single session and I stick it on the pole for the Vancouver race in IndyCar and, uh, you know, Penske car, Team Green, Andre, all, all these guys are all in the back. And, um, and you know, like the the the... the craziest moment is that i'm in the pit lane and i don't even know that and here is like rick moore greg's dad comes up with with um with a trophy like a badass trophy like it's like his helmet and his gloves um all in brass gold extremely heavy and um and he's he's basically giving me that trophy you know in the pit lane as i was like just jumping out of the car and just getting like i5s from the team 
and um you know it was it was emotional um moment because i had some really good time also with greg when we were when i was racing in formula atlantic and he was still racing for players we did a bunch of promotion together for the same you know sponsor and uh, we had a lot of fun and i was there the day he had his accident because i signed the deal for players um you know a little bit before you know it was i think our test was in i don't know we tested in october or end of september and then the last race of indycar was the 31st of october and you know the moment i got the test and the moment i got signed and announced that i was going to be his replacement because he was leaving for penske the year after it, you know like i was super happy you know he was leaving um for for another team so everything was good i was not you know stealing his ride you know i was just replacing him really and uh so anyway, when that happened, so that, that moment on the pole with his father there and have that trophy too is something that, uh, you know, I will always remember. It's like, you know, there's, there's so many things that, I don't know. I think in racing, I always, you know, if you listen to a, a bunch of past interviews that I've done, I always go around the subject and I can never get like a pretty short and straight answer because I kind of like don't want to forget you know, any moments. And I don't want also not to think that those moments were important enough by just mentioning one, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think it's, to me, they all meant something and, um, you know, a different level for different reason. Um, so I all feel that they, they're quite important. It should be like any time that I run the barbecue at the racetrack, that's the greatest moment ever. Because then you don't have to cook. <laughs> this december i went down to indianapolis for the pri trade show and i got to stand on the yard of bricks and looking down i actually have a picture of myself over the 100th the gold brick that they pressed for the 100th running of the indianapolis 500 doing my research i discovered alex you got the poll for that exact race in 2011 describe that feeling to become the first canadian to capture the poll for the Indy 500 and it being that most important prestigious 100th anniversary of the Indy 500. Well, I'm going to tell you a, a very funny story. So when you start Indy, right, there's two things that will happen. You either are going to be very happy or you're going to be not happy because, and it could happen for a very, very weird reason. So when you start running at Indy, if your car is in the top five speeds, you know, on day one with a, a, a downforce level that is quite high, you, you are like, holy shit. Okay, this is going to be a very tough month. Why? Because the team now knows that there's a chance that you could be on the pole. Why? Because the car came out of the shop and it's, kind of like flawless, right? The engine is powerful. The car is good in the air. You know, you have a good setup. You know, it's in the ballpark. It's not going to be tough to stay in this, in this within top five group, right? But <laughs> when you see your name in the top five, you know that you're going to end up trimming the car and running for qualifying pretty much the entire month. So, your butt cheek are going to be like tight like that the entire month, right? If you are 
P17 and you're struggling to go down to P15, you know what's going to happen? You're going to crank some wing in that thing and you're going to run full tanks and you're going to practice, practice, practice to run the race, right? You're going to focus on running, you know, more in traffic and dirty air, but with a lot of downforce. And that makes the car feels good because <laughs> when you run a lot of downforce, it's like not a piece of cake, but almost. It's only become difficult when you're running in dirty air and turbulence. But when you're out there running with downforce, it's just, ah, uh, car feels nice. So start of the month, here we go, put the car out there. And my engineer, you know, told me, he said, you know, we should see this speed. And he was like 0.5 mile an hour off from what we saw. So we were like, boom. And we had, we had a lot of downforce on the car. So he says, if we see the speed, they knew the increments of increase in speed that was going to happen by every single step in trim. So I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. So now basically like the entire month becomes, you know, watching the wind, you know, you can't go out when there's a lot of traffic because you can't be behind a tow. You can't be running with a lot of turbulence because the car is extremely light. I mean, you're running minus degrees of rear wing, all that stuff. And you're, you're, you're basically getting the car to a point where it's, it's, it's no drag, no downforce and really free. So you want the engine to stay up in the corner. And what people don't know is like, even if you're racing flat out all around the track, the, the, the graphic, the graph speed of, 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 of Indy is extremely um, interesting. So you have like top speed going into one, right? And then you're flat out going into one and then the speed drops. So you're not lifting, but there's, there's a lot of scrub because it's a 90 degree corner, right? And then there's a small acceleration between one and two, but, but then you start two and the engine just start accelerating. So the, the speed of two is going to go lower than the minimum speed of turn one, right? And then you reaccelerate and then you get top speed to turn three. And this trend happens in three and four, right? So, so basically you want to make sure that you are not scrubbing too much speed in turn one, because as soon as you turn for turn two, if, if, if it's easy one and easy turn three, as soon as you turn for two, or as soon as you turn for, for turn four, then after that, your penalty is going to be huge out of four and huge out of two, right? And then you can never recuperate. So, so you know, you're trying to do a very wide line entry. You're trying to get the car extremely free. So anyway, I knew that from the first lap I ran in Indy because when I saw the timesheet and I saw number 77 <laughs> in the top five of the tower, I said, oh, man, this is going to be like I'm going to run trim. So and that's where I was telling you, you're either happy or not happy, but you're happy that you know you have a chance to maybe fight for the pole with no guarantee. But now you need to you need to risk it because those opportunities are not going to happen forever. Right. And they not happen all the time. So anyway, so, I, you know, we start running around, running around with, with different, you know, like setups and 
and we look at the, the temperature, we look at the winds, we, we, we do all these things. And, um, and then, you know, um, uh, Saturday morning of qualifying day, it's, it's, it's very windy, you know, you, it's not fun. Windy at Indy is, is not fun because you have like four corners. So they're all angling in different directions. So when you have a little bit of crosswind, you know, like the car is going to hit the wind coming out of one or going into one and it's going to be on the nose. So, you know, it's the less wind, the easiest because then the four corners are almost identical, right? But um, anyway, it's extremely windy. So my engineer decides to go with not a full trim setup. And so, we, you know, basically our average was... I, I, my memory might not be perfect, but I think I was in the 220 and that was the, with the older Dallara with no turbo engine, atmospheric aspirated engine. And I was a 226 something, right? And, um, but then people start going down, going down, going down. At the end of the day, all 36 cars, you know, that were there went out and we're still at the top of the list. So I'm thinking, wow, that's cool. But now, now the pressure, now just, whoop, now it went up because, you know, before you're saying we have a good car, it's fun to have a good car. We're going to be in the game. But now this just got confirmed that now we're going to go out for the pole shootout and we can fight for the pole. Now you, now you think if I don't get the pole, now it's going to be the biggest disappointment because now it's real, right? Before you didn't know, you're like, hey, I might be P6, I might be P3, you know, I might. So you're taking whatever is going to take, give you, right? But now you're like, man, this could be the day. So, so we get ready for the pole shootout. And because we were P1, we're going to be uh, P9. To, to, to leave. So we're going to be the last car qualifying, right? So, so I'm, in the I'm in the line. Uh, my friend Scott Dixon was P2 and uh, he goes out and uh, basically he goes out and he's like 227 point like three something. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, that's average, right? So that's average. So that's not just the, the, the one lap or so now for me to go from a 226 and a half to a 227.3 average of four laps, that means I need to be, you know, way more than 227, you know, to, for my four lap to be averaged. And especially because I know that you cannot, it's very tough to maintain the same speed because the car has so little downforce that you're surviving on the goodness of the tire. Lap one, you're, you're okay. Lap two, now you're going to start seeing what the balance is. Lap three, you know, you're like, shit, you better change the car quickly and adapt. And lap four, you survive, right? So, so I'm, I'm, I'm there and I'm in the car. The choice was made. The arrow was made. You know, the, the setup is made. You know, like all the weight distribution is made. You can't change it. You're in line, right? And only nine cars. So I see this lap and I'm like, oh man, did we, did we trim the car enough? You know, should we have trimmed it more? You know, like we, I mean, we were like this. I mean, the wing was like, you know, really trim. So anyway, we go out 
And I have to launch myself like extremely fast because the first lap, the opening lap is going to be the bullet, right? And that's what's going to dictate when you're going to lose pace, that, that big average lap on lap one is going to save you, right? It's going to keep your average up. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the car's low, tire pressure are low. I'm banging on the ground, <laughs> sparks flying. And I'm thinking, I really hope that by the time I get to turn three, I mean, the car is not going to hit the ground because when you leave the pits and it's like, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, I mean, you're just arriving there at 200 miles an hour. So it's easy flat, even if the car is bouncing off the ground and it's like sparking. But then when you, when you launch yourself, the next time you're going to go to turn three and, and you need to go turn three, turn four, wide open to, to, to get the green, you know, like you're just, man, I hope I'm not going to bang on the ground and the car is going to slide up and I'm going to hit the wall, right? And I didn't have a choice. I mean, it's fate, it's trust, it's, you know, whatever I said, you know, I mean, it, it has to go because if I lift just to feel safe that the car might bottom, then I'm not going to be on the pole. So, you know, there was that, 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 that risk level, you know, that you're taking, that you put, you know, all your crew, your, your engineer, you trust them, you know, it's, this is what they choose and you need to go for it. And, um, you know, we have weight jacker, right? And uh, so when you, when you have like a lot of understeer, you, 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 you push a button and it basically winds up, you know, like a, like, like a little hydraulic things on the rear, right rear spring. So mm-hmm. it basically puts tilt to the left front and it puts left front weight and then the car turns more. And then when you lower it down, it puts weight on the right front. So just to be safe, I click a little bit of, you know, left front weight. I was on new tires. So I said, I just don't want the rear to bottom. I was afraid that it was going to bottom. So I cranked some left front weight and I said, you know, the car might be on the nose, but, you know, I have new tires. So, you know, it could be loose a bit. So anyway, I got into turn three and the car was like definitely on the nose. (laughs) I'm like, holy shit, this is going to be pimp. So anyway, I stayed with it. In between three and four, I click a bit to the right because I said, oh, man, that was like way too much. And the wind was not enough for the car to push. So I said, let me put some right front weight. So I come out of turn four. The car was better. But, you know, like it was, I mean, I I heard the engine. I was like already on the red, pulling the next gear, you know, out of turn four. And I said, holy shit, this is going to be a monster lap. So I go into turn one and I'm like, I'm on the limiter. And I said, shit, man, we don't even have a tall gear enough. I don't have no more gear. And I said, holy moly, maybe I'm not going to be on the pole because I'm on the limiter and I don't, we didn't select a six gear. I mean, the car was like flying. So anyway, I go turn one, turn two, turn three, turn four, cross the first lap. And it was like a 228, like was like high or high 227, something like that, really high up there. And uh, I see it on my dash and I'm like, oh man, this is the day. I mean, because I know Dixon was a 227 something and now I just beat his. So in the car, what you know is as long as you stay above there, you have a chance, right? So my goal was just to try to drive the car, never to get it lower, you know, so my average was just going to be enough to beat him. Anyway, long story short, my average beat his average by 0.1 of a mile an hour. (laughs) <laughs> and it all came from my opening lap. 
right? Because my last lap was worse than his last lap. So it brought down my average. And, um, and the crazy thing is Rob Edwards was on the radio. And um, so I pressed the button. As I, start, as I crossed the start-finish line, and, and I went through the line, you know, flat out. And then to make sure that you don't lift at the line, right? So I go through the line and then I stay wide open for a bit and then I lift. And, and so I got on the radio and he got on the radio exactly at the same time I got on the radio. So I said, did we did it? And he, he was trying to tell me something. So I didn't hear. And then he didn't hear my request. So then when I dropped the button, I heard silence. And I was like, fuck, man, we didn't do it because he didn't respond, right? And then he gets back on the radio. And then as he clicks the button, I hear the surround sound of his mic. And I hear like the crew and everybody screaming. And, and he goes, bud, you're on the pole for the Indianapolis 500. And I start crying. I couldn't like the, you know, like the, the stress, the stress. <laughs> oh, you have no idea the stress of that month, you know, driving <laughs> one car with no backup, you know, like always on eggs, you know, just making sure that you're not crashing it. Cause then you, you take away the op the possibility of fighting without knowing that you will have a possibility of fighting on that day because you never know. But just the stress of the entire month was like right here. And then when that happened, you know, I felt like, oh, like my, my chest just went. It was like a, it was an awesome, awesome feeling. But it was not like it was not just because it, it was called the Indianapolis 500, you know, or the race or the pole or whatever. You know, it was the entire um, um, atmosphere, you know, it, it was because of the immense work that, that was done behind the scene, you know, like being a one car team, you know, just everything that's, that, that happened behind the scene that people don't know. That's why it, the feeling was amazing. You know, I think, it, it, you know, like that feeling would have happened for any other race having had it, prepared and live and live the stress the way we lived it, no matter what race it was called, I think the result would have been the same, you know, like you, you feel relieved. Right. So it was just, uh, you know, the intensity, the stress, everything that happens around that, that race. Um, and I think also like for the last eight years prior to that, no one has ever put their nose in front of, the four Ganassi, the three Penske's, the four Andretti. So like, you know, if you're in the top 10 with those cars, you're already doing good because you're in within these boys, right? So to beat three of these big teams with like, you know, 10 drivers between these three teams, it was like no one has ever done that. And then, you know, you, you could see on the grid, you know, like, for years and years and years, it was always like Penske, Ganassi, Ganassi, Penske, Penske, Ganassi. It, they were always there. So here we come with one car team and then we have a shot, you know. So anyway, it got us, it got me like some really good congratulations from Roger. And um, 
you know, good good praise from from him and and his team. So, yeah, I mean, people inside of the world know exactly what goes be, what goes behind, you know, and and to make it happen, they they also know that uh, you know sometimes with uh, you know limited budget, you know, like you're you need to be prepared to take just a little bit extra <laughs> extra, extra risk to extract that 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 mile an hour in that car that you know like if you can it's going to be your day but if you choose the route of safety you know we we could have been you know easily easily in the top 9 and and top 6 maybe without a doubt without doing anything uh you know crazy and we would have been in the top 6 but but top 6 would have never given us what we you know what we experienced so it required you know a bit of craziness from everybody risking from the crew from the, the engineer and a bit of craziness from myself and and you put all that together and you you can extract that mile an hour that you know got us that and it came down to point one you know I, in the meantime i was like talking i i, I did a research and it was like 227.390 for Scott and 227.472 for me. That's how close it was wow. over four lap average of both cars, right? So, you know, if you take a little bit of a detour and you just go the little safe route, there's no way, there's no way you get that pole. So, and yeah, you could tell how awesome it was because of the fact that Rob got so excited. Like Rob is another one that yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going on. Rob is like GQ smooth. He is the yeah. coolest, most calm guy in the world. So for him to to get emotional, like I mean, he got a little upset when we stole his ice cream sandwiches. But yeah, you know. <laughs> no, but but honestly, the 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 even him and even the team they they believed it was possible. Yeah, they believed. It was possible. They thought we were quick. They were happy. They thought we had a good car. And then they start believing a little bit more, a little bit more. And it, them too, they were filled with the same amount of stress that I was filled as a driver going back and forth with the engineering guys and making choice. They, they were feeling the stress too because hey, this is a day that we can do it, right? And they didn't want to leave anything on the table. So as the month progressed, they, they, they were, Rob thought, okay, we have a good car. You know, we're in the game. You know, we're in the ballpark. You know, but he never thought that we we're going to be able to stick it on the pole. So like when, when, when the time came and it came to that last four laps of the day for the last car of the entire 36-car field, I mean... I presume that the guys in the pit box are as <laughs> stressed as the guy behind the wheel, for sure. If there's not stress because they don't, you know, like they, 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 don't, they don't want it enough. But uh, yeah, I'm sure they were stressed and that's why Rob was like freaking out. <laughs> are there any bucket list races that both of you would like to compete in before you both actually say goodbye to motorsports? Uh, off the top, I, of do. Head, I, yeah, I, I don't have anything left. Um, you know, their bucket list, not really. I mean, I've, I've been really fortunate with my go-kart program that's, you know, I've, I've been able to race across North America. 
Um, I'm always happy to get to a new track. Um, but the fact that I was able to, um, you know, last summer I did the, the combination of uh, racing at Mosport um, and then uh, at, at Tromblon again, um, you know, the, the, the go-kart track at Mount Tromblon, north of Montreal is just, it is, it is unbeatable. Um, Mosport is, is a very, very, very close second, but it just, you know, there's something about Tromblon that's just, you know, un, untouchable for me and, you know, for, for people that I talk to, um, you know, as I was hanging out with these guys in Florida a couple of weeks ago, like, you know, guys, you want to experience, you know, the greatest thing in the world. Like you've got to come up to do the race because I I'm reluctant to say that it's the best go-kart track in the world. But what I, what I can say very safely is that there is nothing better and, uh, it is by far and away my favorite, um, you know, getting to, you know, race Pinties at uh, GP3R is always um, a very, very special um, event. I mean, people really don't understand the 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 level of excitement and the the energy level that the the fans bring at that track. Um, you know, the the feeling of of being on the grid for the autograph session and at least in the olden, you know, pre pre-COVID days when our cars would line up on the front straightaway and there would be, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand people signed like lining up for autographs. I mean, it was it was insanity. And the feeling of of that event, uh, whether it's in the downtown or on the track, is is identical to the feeling of being at the Indy five hundred. Um, you know, the the you know I'll, I'll be very candid that last year we raced the, the first time at Osh Weekend. Um, it was a race that I had zero interest in. Um, I you know I was actually quite opposed to it, but the um, the 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 level of service and the the you know the professionalism you know of Glenn Styers and and the entire crew at at Osh Weekend uh, has me very excited to go back there. That was that was an experience that. Um, you know, just absolutely, you know, I can honestly admit I was totally wrong. Um, you know, our cars put on a, put on a great show. Uh, we managed, I think we had a 20, 26, 28 car field and only one car retired and it wasn't due to an accident. It was a mechanical issue. Um, so, you know, our drivers showed that, you know, when they really concentrate, we can actually get around the track and, and not, not have a smash up derby. Um, but as far as that, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, for for a kid from Stony Plain, Alberta, to to you know, I could list off all the races I've been to and all the things. Um, yeah, there's there's not a lot, you know, not a lot left. I mean, um, pretty pretty fortunate. Alex, you got the wheel. Well, um, I mean, you know, for me, it's a it's a combination of. Um, of, of a lot of things, right? I mean, uh, I, I think I, I responded almost to the question throughout, you know, like the stuff that I was mentioning, you know, many times. And, um, you know, racing is kind of a living, a living beast, right? I would say, you know, you wake up a morning and, um, you know, the, 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 the previous day might not be the same as the next day, depending on, what happens, right? And it could happen, something happens into your personal life, something mm -hmm. happens, you know, in a business, something happens around sponsorship, um, and all of a sudden, you, 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 your day of racing is not going to be the same as that day if you would do it again 
if um, if things are different, right? So when um, you know when, when when I look at when I look back and and thinking, you know, what I would like to do more than I have done, you know, it, it's easy to say, you know, I, I mean, I drove pretty much every car that I can drive. You know, uh, they were very different, you know, from IndyCar open wheel to closed door NASCAR to uh, sports car racing to prototype uh, to go-karting. But, but somehow, I don't think it's about um, just about what car do you drive. It's, it's always trying to put more experience and just more happiness, you know, maybe into your your into your world of racing you know and and i feel that um where i am right now at my age where i arrive in my life with everything that happens in the past you know now i i almost you know enjoy more you know like the racing why because you know i race and 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 i have a lot less stress you know than i had before you know, to, to, to try to make it, you know, and, and so many times I would see the, oh, this is my last year in IndyCar. Oh, never make it. Or if I don't find this sponsorship, I'm never going to drive at Indianapolis 500. I'm going to miss that. You know, those things now they're done. So whoop, I have a bit more relaxed. And um, so now everything that I do, even go-karting, right? There's, there's some races that I want to do in go-karting. There's some championship maybe that I want to participate in the go-karting. Um, you know, like uh, there's, you know, the other day I was looking onto the Instagram and I see, you know, a very, very, very quick driver, you know, uh, David Foray. He's a, he's a KZ, you know, four-time world champion, right? And he races in the States now. And he race, he's, he's, I think, 49 years old and, and race in, um, in, in the KZ class, right? I want to race against him. I want to go race against this guy. You know, why, why should I still have something on the bucket list? Why thinking of still having things on the bucket list? Just, just because, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in a state where now, you know, like I'm enjoying more, you know, the things that I can enjoy, right? Um, you know, and then sometimes, whoop, you know, something happens and it, it gets me back to you know, when I lived in Indianapolis or when I lived in, in, in Vegas and the good days of sponsorship and the bad days of sponsorship and here's a new challenge and here you roll your sleeve up and here you just go after it. And that's what racing has been for me for, for so long. So as long as it stays the same and I can even enjoying it just a little bit more, I just think that I don't see them as bucket list, try to do them you know, because if I don't do them, you know, like there's something that's going to be empty on the bucket list. I just try to do as much as I can, you know, just because I still have a lot of fun into it. You know, I would like to, um, I want, I would like to give it a go in, um, in sports car racing. I would like to get back into few important race of sports car racing. I got mm -hmm. the taste of it once I went to test. I was against the best in the European series. It was 52 guys out there and I finished the test and I was like second quickest and I left under my, on, on my appetite because I didn't have the chance to run a new set of tires at the end. And I was like, I don't know, maybe two tenths off um, the Ferrari of uh, Fisichella. 
and then and his his four teammates that were extremely quick as well. And then you know, like I see all these names that were there on that day, you know, like for racing for Mercedes for Audi, and they're still racing. And you know, like I beat those guys, you know, on that day. So I would like to go back and uh, try to give it a go. Um, and NASCAR, you know, I love NASCAR. You know, like I mean, NASCAR. I feel it's the one that we have the most unfinished business of all because, I mean, we 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 dominated on oval. Uh, there was a year where we dominated also on road course, and then we never put you know like those two together in one full championship. So you know, there's you know what if, um, and I think you know like every year we find a way to you know extract some really good result. On on some you know pretty different races and racetrack, and um, but we're not able to do it you know like on a regular base. So hopefully this year we can do that, and um, and if we can do that, then bring more happiness to the team and whoever has been with us for all these years. You know that's that, that that's why you want to do all these things, right? I mean, do it a bit for yourself, but do it for also everybody that's that's been around you for. Uh, for so many years. We're going to look ahead into the future here, but what do you guys think of the EV racing technology that's available? And do you see most racing sanctioning bodies adopting EV technology in the future? You go first. Well, I think Colin's very good at, um, at these things. Um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, there's a series that uh, has, um, you know, there's a series that has uh, um, already a head start on everybody, like the Formula E series. Mm -hmm. It's a concept. You know, their car looks strange to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I understand their track is narrow. They make a, a narrow car um, with the least amount of, you know, like wings and stuff, because, you know, when they touch each other, you know, like there's pieces flying all over the place. Um, but, you know, <laughs> they, they've been doing at it for, they've been going at it for a couple of years now. And, um, you know, look, I, I, um, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm not the right guy to ask because I'm, uh, I'm a I'm an engine guy, and um, you know even if the electric um, technology could provide extreme performance, you know when I when I see an electric car coming at me or coming out of the parking lot, <laughs> it, <laughs> it doesn't excite me very much, and uh, a lot less when I see it on the track, you know because it's just. Let's be honest, right? It's, it's kind of boring, right? And maybe the other thing why it's boring is because of the challenges that the electric vehicles have right now, they can't run long races. They can't run a lot of grip. They can't run slick tires. They can't run a lot of downforce. They can't run like that. So maybe even the performance, once you compare it, or compare yourself or, or compare it to Formula One, for sure it's pretty big shoes to fill, right? So 
you know, it's, it's, um, and that's because of the challenges, the duration of the battery and all those things. Maybe one day, you know, when you, when you go to a racetrack in the future and you see an electric car performing the same way a normal Formula One right now performs, maybe, maybe we'll be all excited to see those type of speed. But the things is that, you know, they wanted to compare them themselves to Formula One. And the other thing too is like, people got used to Formula One. So when you're, when you're used, when, when you're a, a, um, a, um, a follower of Formula One and you're a spectator of Formula One and you go to, you know, Silverstone or you go to Monaco or you go to Montreal and you see what a Formula One is, man, it's, it's, it's very tough to, to replicate that, right? So, but again, there's a lot of challenges in the technology that doesn't allow them to run like a Formula One. So even that comparison and performance is not there yet. Okay, but is the series racing because of a different purpose? Because of, of, of getting into the world of, of, you know, being more clean? Um, I don't know. But I just think, you know, if I want to be selfish, I mean, right now... I don't know when this move is going to happen, but I don't know how the our race fans of NASCAR would would feel watching cars on track that makes <laughs> absolutely no noise. You know, I mean, this is what this is what this is what NASCAR is all about. I mean, everybody gets like goosebumps and the chills when they see those cars going around the track and and making vibration, right? Take away that part, what is it going to do to the sport? I mean, I'm not smart enough to really see that far in the future and how this is going to play. I'm just giving more an opinion, a personal opinion as a race fan than, um, than, 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 um, than how it's going to happen, you know? I don't know. Fair enough. Go ahead, Colin. Um yeah, I mean, on the, the positive side, I mean, we are seeing, um, you know, even in the world of go-karts, uh, what, what Rotax is developing with uh, what's called the E20 series, which is an all-electric uh, go-kart. Um, they've competed at the, uh, the grand finals. Um, last year was in Portugal. They actually ran a full field of like 20 carts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it is strange to watch them on track. Um, but the, the great thing about those carts, I mean, they're, they're much, much heavier than um, a conventional, uh, you know, gasoline powered cart. But the great thing for people who are getting into racing for the first time is that it's easy to control the outputs of those. You know, they can be programmed so that they're not so powerful, um, but there's not a lot of setup to the carts. You do, you can, you know, work on tire pressure and then you do a little bit of front end geometry and that's really about it. So you don't have to be a mechanic uh, to, to be able to get in. They're more of a you know, stock car is not the right way, but it's, you know, it's basically this, it, they're all on the same chassis, same engine, same everything. Um, and it really comes down to driving style. But, you know, when you look at, you know, one of the biggest um, complaints that, that race fans have, even up to F1 is, you know, since, since F1 moved to the turbo hybrid era, you know, the olden days of, you know, V8, V10, V12 engines, they used to scream. The sounds of those engines was unmistakable. And, 
you know, while I'm, you know, at my, my heart and soul, I'm a pure race fan. I love watching racing. There is something about the sound of a race car um, that, you know, the current generation F1 cars, while they're still unbelievably impressive, they just don't have that same impact. They, they do. And, and like Alex said, if you go to any F1 race and you see these things on track, it is, it is unmistakable and it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, but, you know, well, I think a lot of series are moving that direction for a political, um, you know, position. We'll we'll be able to achieve an awful lot more with you know biofuels and you know zero emission technology. That's you know that 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 same commitment that Formula One's got. You know, to move to uh, you know lower impact. Uh, fuels. I think that's really where we're going to end up going, um, you know, versus the electric. I mean, if if you look at even right now, you you take a look at streetcars to try and if if you just could magically flip a switch and pull every petroleum car off the road and replace it with electric, there's not enough lithium in the world to make that happen, and there's definitely not enough power to make that happen. Um, it, you know, it's it's a it's a neat enough idea. Uh, definitely don't think it's sustainable though. Okay. Okay. Now let's move on to what do you guys think of iRacing simulators that are being used to recruit young drivers into real world racing? What do you guys think of that? I have to, Mr. Smiley, I have to tell you that uh, I really have to go. I have like a, a little conference going on with uh, some young kids that uh, we are uh, partnering with at, uh, from the center. Uh, so they asked me to be their act of presence and just say a few words. So I don't want to be late for that. Um, I totally understand. Yeah, but uh, Colin was actually the first one to introduce me to Simulator. He had a Simulator way long before I ended up have one for myself. So he's the um, he's the veteran in Simulator. <laughs> Okay, no worries. Well, thank you very much, Tag. I do appreciate your time today. I know you got your personal appearances you do have to take care of, and I do thank you once again for your time. Um, you go ahead and have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you so much, guys. See thank you, you. Take care, bud. So, Colin, what do you think of that about iRacing simulators? Well, yeah, I'm, I, first of all, thank you uh, for, for recognizing that it is a simulator. It, it still drives me crazy uh, when people call it a video game, because that is truly not what, what iRacing is all about. And um, while I've, I've got some experience with the others, um, iRacing is where I've, I've spent the most amount of time. Um, in the early days, I actually got to know you know, a couple of the folks from iRacing quite well um, as we were developing our program and we'd meet at, at, at actual racetracks and, and I got to learn about how they actually modeled things and how they built things. And, uh, you know, it's not, it. you know, with iRacing, they don't just simply, you know, take a bunch of video and then recreate it in a computer. They have a very elaborate uh, scanning system, laser scanning system that will will pick up every bump, crack, um, mark on the wall, you know, and obviously a lot of that gets cleaned up once it's produced, but there's a lot of stuff that gets left behind. Um, you know, I've never turned a lap at Indianapolis in real life, but I can tell you, you know, at the time that the, the track was scanned, when you pull out a pit road immediately, when you, when you 
um, get onto the uh, the merge lane past the uh, the the speed limit cones, there are two bumps, and I can tell you about those two bumps because you know, thankfully, I, I have a a full motion simulator, so I can actually feel a lot of the stuff that goes on. But I remember the first time I got into one of these motion simulators, and I started talking to Alex about. You know, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on as I, you know, the first track I wanted to run was an IndyCar at Indianapolis. And as I was driving down the track in a video game, you would kind of pull up as close as you could to the to the outside wall to widen your corner to make it to the entry. And as I pulled up and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm driving this car up to the wall, all of a sudden the steering wheel starts shaking and I couldn't figure out what's happening. And I, you know, I talked to Alex afterwards and said, what what is this bud like i don't i don't understand he's like well in a real car you know that's buffeting because all that air that comes off of the right front part of the wing hits up against the wall and then it gets thrown back against the car which is why you see these guys you know they'll make an exit out to the wall but then they pull back to the middle of the track you know especially in qualifying you know during the race you're going to go anywhere that you can block and, and disrupt the airflow from the car behind you but they do such an amazing job um you know, we've, we've had, um, you know, Alex has been in our simulator a number of times and, and, um, you know, after his, his sports car, uh, stint that he earlier, you know, referred to when he was driving in the, uh, Blanc Pain series, mm-hmm. we were able to load up the exact same car. We're able to put in, you know, virtually the exact same setup and he was able to run the exact same lap times as what he was with that, with, with the, uh, you know, the previous team. So they are surprisingly accurate. Um, you know, as a recruitment tool, I, I don't know. I, you know, obviously there are a number, uh, a small number of drivers, you know, guys like Ty Majeski who've kind of made their name in iRacing and have made it to, to real racing. Mm-hmm. The thing that iRacing will never um, be able to replicate is the fear. And, you know, there's, you know, obviously a driver doesn't want to admit they're scared. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is the fear that if you make a mistake in this corner and you hit the wall and you don't have the money to fix it, you don't get to go to the next race. Mm-hmm. That never gets replicated in, in the simulation. You know, yeah, if you're, if you're doing races in iRacing, you hit the wall or you hit another driver, it can affect your I rating and you might lose a, you know, your, your license might get downgraded or you don't get to move up as fast. But it's, that's the thing that, um, that, that, you know, to, to me will never get uh, duplicated. But as far as everything else, like it can be a great testing tool. I mean, I, I don't use mine an awful lot anymore, but this is the time of year where I find myself, um, you know, trying to jump in to get my mind thinking about racing again, to get this, the speed of thought um, going so that when somebody reacts around you, you kind of get that, you, you get your reaction times back and you kind of start thinking again so that when it's, when it's time to do it for real, your your head is kind of back in the game. That's a tough muscle to to exercise for those things. I mean, it's easy enough to go to the gym and lift weights and do cardio and you know flexibility and all that stuff. But the the actual racing part of your brain, um, you know, especially for Canadians, where where we're dormant for you know eight months of the year, um, you know, for most of us that aren't fortunate enough to get you know to the warmer parts of the world, uh, that that's where that really comes in handy. And and you can learn a lot about you know potential racetracks. I've got a very good friend. Uh, here in town, I don't know if he'd want me to to call him a friend publicly, but um, 
you know, he comes by here, uh, you know, on a fairly regular basis because he's going to be doing some racing at uh, Sonoma in California and a couple other tracks in a specific uh, sports car and, you know, just wants to come in to kind of start teaching his eyes the sight lines to figure out where some of the braking markers are because, you know, while it won't be 100%, it's going to be better than trying to learn it on the track for the first time. So, yeah, I mean, you know, whether it, it doesn't really matter what it is, but iRacing to me is, is you know, the best value for dollar uh, that's out there and, you know, infinitely um, the most accurate for, for a... Um, you know, for a publicly available, you know, simulator, obviously the stuff that, you know, Delara uses or formula one uses, I mean, they, they pump, you know, tens of millions of dollars into their stuff. And, and obviously that's on a, on a totally different level, but for what you can, you know, subscribe for a few bucks a month. Um, yeah. It doesn't get a lot better than iRacing. No, I totally agree with you. I love my iRacing sim. I've been doing it as my third year now on it and I'm going into year four. So I, and I'm, I'm in the lowest split possible. Um, you know, I got into a lot of on-track incidents that weren't my fault, and it took me from A class down to D, and I've slowly been working my way back up because when you get in that bottom split on every single race, man, is it ever really? hard to get out of there. Yeah, and you get squared at an awful lot too by these <laughs> these computer jockeys with their microphones. But uh, yeah. for some reason, that doesn't seem to to get reported the same way. But yeah, it's tough. I mean, I I remember um, you know I've got A class licenses in both, and because I haven't you know again I haven't really I'm not sure when my last formal race was. I I'll pop on and do like some of the uh, um you know, the, the fun races that, you know, you can, you know, the carb cup or, you know, the mm -hmm. Delora cup, whatever they call it now, where, you know, if you win, it doesn't matter if you lose, you crash, it just doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember going through a stint where it's like, I want to get my license up. And I started doing all kinds of things like where I wasn't really racing. I was just getting to the end of the race where I made sure I qualified at the back. I picked up a few spots. I stayed out of trouble. Um, and I was able to get my, my license, you know, kind of pumped up, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always frustrating because there's a lot of people who just don't care and they will wipe mm -hmm. you out. And, you know, if they're a D they don't care, but, um, you know, I like having access to all the races. I like being around, you know, good drivers because mm -hmm. that, that also teaches you a lot. The, the problem that I have is I'm just not a mechanical guy. So how to set up a car, I don't have a clue. I, I honestly don't, um, you know, which is a funny thing for a race guy to say, but, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, with the go-kart, I have a number of smart people that if I'm struggling with a thing, I can, I can get a, get the insight as to what I might need to change. I, I know enough about setting up my own stuff, but mm -hmm. yeah, when it comes to, to, you know, stock cars and what to do on an oval, I just run the fixed races because then at least I know it's entirely about, you know, driver uh, skill and, um, you know, I don't have a lot to worry about there. So um, if a race team is looking to invest in an iRacing simulator, because in my opinion, I'm the same as you, they are the best and there's a lot of people that call it a game and it drives me absolutely crazy. A game could be broken. This cannot. Right. You know, it's more realistic than anything. I'm missing the tactile feel. This is my iRacing motion sim right here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like it. Well, it suits my purpose. I want to get a full motion sim. Um, but it, don't, it's, don't waste your money. Um, Don't waste your know, money. If, okay. If you like, you're more than welcome to come over to my shop anytime you like, and I can show you the difference. The the motion is cool, 
but it is not as um, effective or it's not as important as what you would probably think. It does add and it's really cool, but to have a really good steering wheel is the key. Like if you've got a good steering wheel, that will tell you more about what the car's doing than the, the motion, yeah, because, you know, and when you start looking at motion, I mean, you're starting to look at, you know, 10, you know, tens of thousands of dollars just for that. And it doesn't, it doesn't really do an awful lot. I, I've had my motion cut out on me where I thought it was going to be really bad. And um, yeah, you, you just get that feel in the steering wheel. The other thing about motion that is a detriment, especially if you're doing like a restrictor plate race or you're doing, you know, a stock car race or what have you is when people are bumping you, you feel it. Like you'll be sitting in your chair and you can feel it go bump, 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 which, you know, if they hit hard enough, it can really piss you off. But if you're, if you don't have that motion, you can, you know that you're being hit, but you're not getting that that poke at the back. So, um, yeah, like I said, you're more than welcome to come by here if you want to, if you want to give it a shot. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. (laughs) I may take you up on that one of these days. Open door as long as I'm in town. As long as you're in town, well, I'll send you an email first and set up the appointment. Well, that's for me, it's, it's, it's a sincere offer, but that's like, you got a 50, 50 chance because I spend a lot of time on the road. Oh, Totally understandable. But it would, do you think it would be worthwhile for race teams to invest in an iRacing simulator for the, their future drivers and implement it in a, their training regiment? No, I think you know most current drivers have an iRacing account. They have a decent steering wheel. I mean, you know, I've watched when, when we were locked into COVID, um, you know, IndyCar had an iRacing series where, you know, their existing drivers were you know, competing at each other at Motegi or, you know, wherever they were at. And, mm-hmm. you know, Connor Daly, you know, loved the kid to pieces. Um, actually, you know, Connor was one of our drivers that one year at the uh, the Rolex 24, and I ended up spotting for him accidentally. I was really only supposed to be Alex's spotter, but, uh, you know, replacement spotter didn't show up. So I ended up doing like a six and a half hour stint. I, I worked with Alex through his stint. I had to do Connor and then I had to do a, a third driver. And at one point I lost Connor on a restart. I just didn't know which car was, was ours. I like, they just got mixed up and I still remember him yelling cause he didn't even know my name. He's like, spotter, where are you? And I, you know, I talked to him afterwards. I'm like, I honestly didn't know where you were because when, when we came through turn five and the cars were coming straight back, it was just headlights. I couldn't pick up where we were. And he said, all you had to do was tell me that you lost me. And, you know, and that's part of that, that communication, but mm-hmm. you know, Connor's rig, when he was doing the iRacing for IndyCar, I mean, he was basically sitting on a milk crate, had like a very, very low end Thrustmaster steering wheel and was working off a small laptop and, <laughs> You know, the guy was able to do exactly what all the other guys were doing. Um, you know, obviously in racing, there's a lot of ego and you can see some of these really fancy rigs and, you know, they've got LED lights and they've got a lot of fancy stuff and they've got the, um, you know, the accessory monitor so they can monitor all their, you know, pit stop information and blah, 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 blah. And that's great. Mm-hmm but you don't need it. You know, I, I know a lot of guys that are way faster than 90% of the people that get on there. And again, they're just running off of a small laptop and a very, very affordable steering wheel um, for the, for the race teams. You know, once you get, you know, if you look at NASCAR, once you get to 
you know, the, the truck series or higher, they mostly have access through the manufacturers. Toyota has an excellent um, race simulator. Chevy does, Ford does. Um, with, um, you know, like IndyCar, Delara has an amazing um, simulator in Indianapolis that's available to teams. So, yeah, I mean, you know, most of the drivers have their own stuff and they're going to play, you know, they're going to spend a lot of time uh, in these things. I mean, you know, Max Verstappen just put uh, a full simulator in his private plane. Like these guys are they're kind of nuts. Well, it's not enough that, you know, he's a two-time Formula One champion, but now between races, he's going to do races. So yeah, I mean, yeah, these guys are, these guys are a different species for sure. Yeah. That's taking it to a whole new level, huh? Yeah. (laughs) One final question for you before I let you loose to the rest of the world and your other, your own podcast, how has racing prepared you for the world of business? That's kind of an unfair question because I was in the world of business before, but um, racing is the racing is at least equal to, if not a little bit greater than business for the highs and lows, because within business, you generally have a lot of your success at your own control. You make your own decisions, you know, you kind of, you, you can generally live with your mistakes and you can, you know, ride the successes of, you know, having a you know good customer or good order. Racing is so much dependent on other people. Like you can have the best car, but if somebody decides that they're going to take you out, you get taken out, whether it's deliberate, you know, whether it's accidental, it doesn't matter, you know, um, the, the highs and lows of racing are, they're, they're almost unparalleled because, you know, business is money and obviously money is important, but racing is life. Mm-hmm. When somebody makes a mistake in a race car, it can end a life. Um, you know, I've had, you know, I've had some, some physical incidents where I, I got some, you know, physical damage. I've, I've hit a fence in my go-kart, you know, head on, um, didn't result in any, you know, any you know, real damage, um, you know, this track that we were at in Florida, um, while I'll always open with the fact that they're, you know, the, like some of the, the friendliest and most hospitable people I've ever worked with, the track was just plain dangerous, uh, where driving lanes were, you know, six feet apart as one cart's going this way, the other cart's going that way and separated by, you know, there's, there's some tech pro kind of barrier but then there's chain link fence in the middle, like this four foot chain link fence and, and talking to the, to the track guys, you know, they wanted the track to be tough, but I said, this is dangerous. We were the first ever event that happened at this track and, you know, said, guys, what happens when someone hits that? They're like, well, if you turn into it, you're going to hit the barrier. I said, yes, if you're by yourself, but if two carts are running side by side and just one just managed to drift one way, one manages to drift the other, and they touch tires, and this cart gets launched up in the air with driver head first. What happens to that driver when their head hits the fence? And they kind of looked. I said, if you're lucky, you die. And if you're not lucky, you spend the rest of your life trying to recover from a moment that shouldn't have ever happened because this is just dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're in, you know, simple go-karts if you're in you know uh any any of the classes out at uh at eir you know any form of racing can involve injury or death and you know that is once you realize that um i'll I'll make one more little um digression from from when alex and i you know when i first started spotting for alex um that that same race at uh, daytona 
there was an incident where um, Alex was getting ready to overtake somebody, but he was in what was called the DP car and it sat really, really low and had really poor visibility when you were behind any other car. And there just happened to be an incident in front. He was getting ready to pull out from you know, the, the car he was following, he was going to make the move and had my call not come in to say like, there's an accident coming up to turn five, back it down, back it down, back it down. He would have potentially pulled out and hit this guy, which ended up happening the next year to a driver named uh, Mimo Gidley. And, and Gidley was, was done. Like he won't ever race again. He was like crazy, seriously injured. Um, you know, and Alex, you know, I didn't really think about it cause I was just, you know, reporting on what I'd seen. And, you know, at the end, he's like, you know, you saved my life. I'm like, no, like it was just, he's like, no, if I would have pulled out at the speed I was doing and hit that guy, I could have been killed. And that moment I hadn't conceptualized. I hadn't rationally thought that if I make a mistake doing what I'm doing, somebody could die. I, it had never entered my mind. All we were doing was racing. And I was just talking to my buddy on the radio, you know, from a very serious standpoint, you, you really have to um, make yourself aware of, of what can happen when things go badly, because in racing, they always will. You do everything you can to avoid it. You hope um, that, you know, when bad things happen, they're not as bad as they can be. But, you know, in, in our series, you know, the, the NASCAR Pinty series, um, you know, last year at, at, um, at Eastbound in, in St. John's, we saw two horrific accidents where, where Brett Taylor, um, you know, was the victim of a, a bad brake setup, ended up locking his rears, turned into these Jersey barriers, these big, heavy concrete piles, mm -hmm. knocked two of them completely over and moved a third, like destroyed his car. Um, and, you know, fortunately, Brett was okay. Um, he was a little bit shaken, but no big deal. And, and later that race, um, LP Dumoulin got moved up into the, uh, into the wall on the, the back straightaway. The wall because they're all Jersey barriers wasn't perfectly lined up. And just the way he hit cut a tire, turned his car, sent him straight into the wall uh, between turn three and turn four. And, you know, I I'll never forget it because I thought we lost him. I mean, he was fine, but he hit so hard that one of the wheels completely ripped off the suspension flew up in the air about 15 feet. And we're watching this from our spotter stand and everyone kind of looked and we just kind of waited because we didn't think the news was going to be good. You know, fortunately LP got out of the car. Um, but you know, again, this is, this is just in, you know, in, in Pinty series cars that, you know, at that racetrack, you know, and, and most of the ovals, I mean, our cars will barely hit a hundred miles an hour and they're going through the corners at, you know, I mean, as low as 40, maybe 50, 60 miles an hour, which yes, compared to, you know, what you do on the road is very quick, but, they're they're not they're they're at the edge of traction, but you can't really go a lot quicker than that on on these short tracks, and mm -hmm. bad things can still happen. So, um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the takeaway is you know you you have the highs, you have the lows, but it's it's all the stuff that happens in between and that leads up to it. I mean the the laughs mm -hmm. that we have in our transporter and the the laughs we have you know going between races and um you know sitting around a, a table by a motorhome just you know enjoying a meal and you know having a drink and you know just the the stories and the lies and the the other nonsense and you know you know 
when it's when it's even the best is when it's you get a couple of your your competitors who you normally wouldn't have a lot to do with and you know they either won a race and they're in a good mood and and they invite everyone over you know andrew ranger is great at doing stuff like that um you know it doesn't matter i mean we have so many great personalities in the pinty series that um you know I, I i look forward to getting around almost every single one of them but you know you never you never uh, mesh with everyone right thank you very much colin this was uh, very enlightening i had a blast listening to your stories Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having us. Uh, it was it was great to do this, and uh, definitely look forward to. Let me see if I can get this right. July twenty third at EIR. Twenty second. Twenty second. Twenty second. Okay. I I always know it's around you know July twenty fifth because that's my girlfriend's birthday, and uh, she always calls it Christmas in July. So that's <laughs> always uh, that's always a great stretch for us between uh, you know Wetaskiwin and Saskatoon. But yeah, we love having you guys out here. Look forward to the race this year. It's going to be a blast. Well, hopefully we get you out to a go-kart race this year as well. I'd love to. I haven't been in a go-kart since I was a kid. Well, I don't know that you'd want to get into one, but you can come out and watch for sure. <laughs> I'll take you up on that. If you could send me where you're going to be, I'd definitely like to go and watch one. No problem. I'll keep you in the loop. Perfect, my friend. I appreciate your, your time today, Colin. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you very much. You have yourself a great day. And you. Take care. And that was the Lap 7 special feature with 22 Racing's Alex Tagliani and Colin Livingston. Come on out to Edmonton International Raceway in Wetaskiwin on July 22nd for the Bear 300. Meet Tag and all the other NASCAR Pinty Series drivers on the first stop of the Western Swing. Your NASCAR Pinty Series ticket includes Friday night's NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series weekend kickoff event and party on July 21st. Tickets for this and all EIR events are available online at edmontonraceway.com. Black Flag Disclaimer. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are mine and the guests appearing on Turn and Laughs at Mr. Smiley and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Edmonton International Raceway, EIR, EIR sponsors or racers, NASCAR, NASCAR's Pinty Series, and their affiliated sponsors. The material and information presented here is for general information and entertainment only. The turning laps with Mr. Smiley name and all forms and abbreviations are the property of its owner and its use does not imply endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. And now the checkered flag is in the air. Thank you once again to 22 Racing's Alex Tagliani and Colin Livingston. Tune in to lap 8 with the 2022 Super Stock Champion, driver of the number 2 Manluck Industries, NASCAR Super Stock, which is now renamed the NASCAR Late Models, the Ram, Mike Ram. Don't forget to get your tickets and flex passes for the Edmonton International Raceway 2023 season at edmontonraceway.com. Also, Follow, like, and share Turn and Laps with Mr. Smiley, presented by Edmonton International Raceway. Until next time, keep smiling.